Hi, everyone. This is Susanna. I produce Voices of Duke Health. We're happy to let you know that a season two of our podcast is in the works. In the meantime, we thought our listeners might enjoy this guest episode produced by Joseph O'Connell. Joe is a folklorist and oral historian in Durham. He made this vignette about Dr. Nancy C. Andrews, who served as dean of the Duke University School of Medicine from 2007 to 2017. So sit back, relax, and listen to Dr. Andrews share some of the influential moments of her career in science and medicine. The Bell Telephone System brings you another of its series of programs on science, man's effort to understand nature's laws. We used to watch um, science movies in class, probably in elementary school. There was a set of movies about uh, a character called Hemo the Magnificent from the 1950s, so it had been around for a while. Oh, Hemo's our king! Hemo! And it was to teach us about blood and about red blood and blue blood. What's an artery, Doc? You see from the heart, the blood is pumped to every inch of the body through strong elastic tubes we call arteries. And so, I, that, I love those movies. I think it made a big impression. Years later, I actually got a couple of them from eBay because I just thought that's something I'd like to keep. My full name is Nancy Catherine, with a C, Andrews. My current positions are Dean Emerita and Vice Chancellor Emerita. That just means I was Dean, basically. And I'm the Nanoline H. Duke Professor of pediatrics, and I'm a professor in the Department of Pharmacology and Cancer Biology. And I was born in Syracuse, New York. I had a chemistry teacher who took a special interest and encouraged me to apply for different kinds of summer opportunities and and enrichment opportunities. And one major one um, that I remember worked out It was an experience uh, where for five or six weeks um, I could go to Cape Cod and work on a marine biology project as part of a group, and I loved that. It was a lot of fun, and in fact, there were two terms over the summer. My scholarship was for this first term, but I talked them into letting me stay for the second five to six weeks so that um, I could keep going, and and in exchange for keeping me, uh, I was the cook for the whole team. I think that was probably the summer after my junior year of high school. Yes, that's right. I got interested in uh, a particular kind of crab, uh, horseshoe crab, which is um, an ancient creature that has blood with a very interesting property. If it comes in contact with a tiny, tiny bit of a product from um, nasty bacteria, the blood clots. And so I wanted to follow up on that 
I um, went with uh, a bunch of friends from high school back to Cape Cod after school started and we collected about 30 of the crabs and I brought them home and put them in saltwater tanks. I brought back not just the 31, I think, horseshoe crabs, but also um, at least one blue clock crab or blue crab. That was a bit of a problem because somehow it got out of the tank and disappeared. Those have very sharp pincers. <laughs> I approached a professor at Syracuse University who was working on a different kind of crab to see if I could work in her lab. Her name was Marilyn Kerr, and she was willing, and so I would walk over there after school, taking one of my victims or, or subjects, I guess, in a bucket. She was wonderful about taking the time to um, hear what I was interested in and, and really teaching me how to do the basics. She took the time herself when I went over there to uh, show me how to make chemical solutions and how to use the kinds of columns that you use to prepare um, protein extracts and um, how to use centrifuges, and, and really, I don't remember anyone else ever being responsible for me. I think she did it all herself. And so I worked in her lab trying to begin to get an understanding of why the blood clotted when it came in contact with this bacterial product. Others figured that out. I didn't, but, but it was fun, and I think that accelerated my interest in science. I became a hematologist later. If you've been to a doctor's office or hospital in the last few decades, chances are you've been treated by women doctors. For the last 10 years, women have entered medical schools across the nation at the same rate as men. So you might be surprised to learn that none of the nation's top medical schools has ever had a woman dean. But that's changing with the appointment of Dr. Nancy Andrews to head the Duke University School of Medicine. Dr. My most influential science teachers in high school were women, and I, I don't think I ever really thought about women being underrepresented at that point. Is it more attractive for women to decide instead to go into the practice of medicine rather than taking an academic route? I think that there are a number of factors that tend to push women towards clinical medicine instead of academics. The obvious one In the late 1990s, MIT, where I did my Ph.D. work, did a study initiated by some of the women in its school of science looking at disadvantages that women faculty had. They included salary. Women tended to have lower salaries than men at the same rank. 
the obvious one that gets a lot of talk is that getting your career established in academic medicine usually happens during the the peak childbearing years. And so it included the amount of lab space that women faculty had versus men, the amount of administrative support, the likelihood of being put on important committees instead of unimportant committees. And I experienced all of those things. Uh, And they get very little encouragement to go into scientific careers. I had a number of people over the years who just assumed that I was going to go into clinical medicine or even actively push me that way. I think that it was a real awakening for me to read the MIT report and realize it wasn't just me. My previous administrative experience was heading a program for students who are earning both their MD and PhD at the same time. I'm a graduate of that program at Harvard and uh, have been very invested in it for many years. So I set up meetings with um, junior faculty members who were women and tried to figure out ways that I could help nurture their careers. I set up a, a group of women faculty members that met about every six weeks with no strings attached. It was just drop in and come talk if you want to. And and it gave the women not only a way to meet and get to know each other, but it also, I think, helped people realize that they had shared experiences. I shared many of those experiences and, um, and gave them ways to talk about strategies to deal with disadvantages. Dr. Nancy Andrews was just named the new dean of the Duke University School of Medicine. She begins in October. Thank you for talking with us. It's been a pleasure. Duke made a big deal out of the fact that I was the first woman dean of a top 10 medical school. And and I guess that grabbed a lot of national attention. I hadn't really thought about that before taking the job. It was uh, disturbing. Academic medicine in general was kind of behind the times, and I think the proportion of deans who are women is still relatively small. It hasn't improved all that much. My successor, Mary Klopman, is the second (laughs) and still only woman dean of a top 10 medical school at this point. In contrast to Harvard, where there were hundreds of years of tradition, Duke was a much younger school. The school didn't seem as bound by having to do things the way they always had been done in the past, but was more agile and more nimble in making changes and accepting changes, which I saw as a very good thing. was Dr. Nancy Andrews, Dean Emerita of the Duke University School of Medicine. Thanks to Joseph O'Connell for producing that piece, and thanks to Duke University Medical Center Library and Archives for commissioning the original interviews recorded in 2019. Clips used in the piece also come from Bell Laboratories' Hemo the Magnificent and NPR's All Things Considered. Music and sound design is by Joseph O'Connell and Elephant Micah.
To learn more about Voices of Duke Health or to schedule a conversation in our listening booth, visit www.listeningbooth.info.